Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are brought to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Good afternoon, everybody. It's noontime here in the East, and we are here for another edition of Heads Up Hockey, the podcast, the new and improved podcast, and I'm joined with my co-host and your friend, Jersey Joe. Hey, everybody. It is the host of the show right here. I Dave McCarthy, our invite via Twitter digital. Trying to make sure he gets it. Yeah, he told me just to send it to him via DM. He should get it. He should be on here soon. It is a beautiful day up up here in uh, coastal New Jersey. I hope Dumont's looking good, and hopefully Ontario is doing just great. Yeah, it, right now it's a beautiful day out, warm day. Um, weekend was good. I uh, can't wait to talk sucks. Uh with Dave, he's a great guy. Uh, if you guys have a chance to listen to Sirius XM on Sundays, 11 to 1, the Sunday brunch is always a great show. And here he is, the man, the t- Toronto correspondent for NHL.com, Dave McCarthy. How you doing, Dave? Hey, what's going on? Hour. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, just want to talk some hockey with you You're here welcome. on a Monday. You know, it seems like things are... Getting closer, but we're taking steps back as well. What's your thoughts on the NHL coming back, and when do you think we see hockey? Well, I think by uh, by everything that we've seen over the uh, last month or so, I still think we're pretty well on track to have training camps kick up around the uh, the middle of July and see games toward the end of July, very early August. Um, you know, I know there's been some. Uh, positive tests during the uh, the commencement of phase two, but I haven't heard any indication yet that, that that's going to curtail uh, the, the the restarting of the season. So um, I think we're we're really looking at games toward the end of July at this point, if everything continues to stay where it has been. And so uh, this is Jersey Joe Stanislaus uh, talking right here. I want to ask you, how will the Leafs do with a lot of young and very skilled players like uh, with the whole of uh, Austin Matthews testing positive with Corona? Well, uh, I mean, that I, that's, that's something that's far out of my purview. I am certainly not a, a doctor qualified to, to talk about uh, many, any individual, <laughs> uh, you know, who, who may or may not have tested positive and the effects that that might have on the long term. So. Um, all, all I can say is for anybody who, who tests positive, you certainly hope that their recovery is quick. I, I've understood it, it, it depends, um, and it varies from case to case, but, um, you know, beyond that, I can't really offer much more. Yeah, that, that, that's true. We just want everybody to be safe out there and be smart. Um, you know, you know, bringing up the coronavirus and everything and everything here in the United States, um, do you see, I mean... We hear that Vegas is a lock, but nothing's official yet. Could you see the NHL doing two hub cities in Canada? Quite honestly, I think that would be the smartest thing to do at this point. And I think going to Las Vegas would be um, a a poor decision at this point. Um, Simply because if you look at where the numbers have been trending in Las Vegas over the last little while when it comes to the virus, um, it's not good. And it does not seem like it's going to continue to get any better in the, the near future. So um, not to say that they, they couldn't 
um, put a bubble atmosphere in place that that separates, you know, the the general population from the NHL group. But um, I, I still think there's inherent risks there that need not be taken. Uh, what about the folks who work in hotels? What about the folks who work in the arenas um, where they're going to be holding games, conducting practices and all that? Uh, I don't think, based on the best of my knowledge, that they're going to be part of the bubble, which means they'll be going home to their families. They'll be going to live their lives when they're not at work the same as they would ordinarily do, which means they will be involved in the general population, which means they will have a higher exposure um, to, to folks who, who have the virus, um, because that's where it seems like it's going right now in Las Vegas. To me, that, that seems relatively um, um, elementary in terms of common sense. So um, right now, I'd, I'd really be opting to look at places where the numbers have just about uh, disappeared when it comes to the virus. And I think you need look no further than Canada. Uh, right now, Vancouver has been very good. Edmonton has been outstanding for for months, really. Um, the infrastructure is there. Uh, Toronto is 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 getting better, um, very much so over the last fourteen days. Uh, the the case numbers continue to to trend downward on a on a daily basis into the uh, hundreds. Um, so that's good news. Uh, to me, I just I I don't understand why you would go to some place where there is inherent risk like Las Vegas seems to present right now. I mean, you look at what the, what the NBA is doing right now down in Florida. I mean, (laughs) I don't know guys. I just, I don't think that's a recipe that's, that's going to bode well to me. No, I I agree with you there. I mean, I just don't know. I don't understand going back down to Florida right now with what everything is going on. I don't know why the NBA announced they wanted to go to Orlando. Plus, you have MLS going to yeah. be there as well at that Disney Center. And I, I just think I think it would just be wise to have it in Canada. I mean, not to say Las Vegas can't like hold it, like you said, but I just think Canada is the smart play. Regardless if you want to do east-west, like wherever, for TV, it doesn't matter. I, I think people here just want hockey, and they just they don't care where the hub mm-hmm. cities are. They just want to watch it. Well, and quite honestly, I don't really understand why um, the, the the players would care where the hub cities are either. It's not like, you know, with a bubble concept that they're going to put in place that you're going to have the opportunity to go out and experience the town, so to speak, when you're when you're not playing. So, you know, hold it in the Yukon for all I care, as long as it's safe. <laughs> True that. <laughs> What about Newfoundland well, and Labrador? I mean, same thing. The, the issue is obviously the infrastructure in terms of uh, NHL caliber facilities is not there. So, I mean, you, you take my point with a grain of salt. But my, my point is um, go, go to the, the NHL marketplace uh, that is capable from an infrastructure standpoint of where it is uh, the safest. Uh, you're not going to the casinos. You're not hitting the strip. You know, you're not going down to the Bellagio. So um, why, why bother holding in <laughs> Las Vegas right now if, the, if the, the safety standpoint is not up to par? Yeah, I, I exactly want to say that. Um, just thinking about the playing rounds of the playoffs, um, we are familiar with John Tortorella of the Columbus Blue Jackets from his Ranger days. Um, what does – John Tortorella's club mean to Sheldon's, uh Toronto Maple Leafs in your eyes? Uh, it means a, a test, boys. Um, this is not a team that is going to give you anything for free. The fact that they were even in the playoff consideration, given what they went through last year in terms of the number of significant injuries long-term to key personnel, and not even bringing up the fact that this time last year, they lost what we at the time essentially thought was the core of their team with Bobrovsky and Duchesne and uh, Dzingel and I'm forgetting uh, one other guy, uh, Art Panarin. Yeah, Panarin, uh, walking yeah. He's kind of a decent player the last time that I checked. <laughs> so um, you look at all of that. <laughs> and then you see the fact that they were in the playoff hunt. This team that I thought honestly was going to be a, a bottom five team 
So how did they get to where they are? They grind you down. They wear you down. They give you nothing for free. They win games two to one. Um, they check you into the ground. That's not a style that seems to, to benefit the Maple Leafs. They don't typically like playing that way. I'm not saying they can't, but they, they, they showed it last year in game five against the Boston Bruins in the first round, that if they want to play that way, they can. I thought that was the best game that they had ever played under Mike Babcock. That was what Mike Babcock wanted from start to finish of his tenure in Toronto, that style. And that was the way, quite honestly, that Team Canada played in the uh, Olympics in 2014. To Mike Babcock, that was winning hockey. You can't really argue with the man because it worked in the Olympics. It worked with the, the Leafs in Game 5, but they didn't show a willingness to play that way consistently enough. So my point is, I don't know if they can play that way consistently enough. They can certainly beat Columbus. Let's not get me wrong here. On paper, they're a far better team. <laughs> there is no doubting that. But if they're going to go into that series against Columbus with the intent that, well, we'll just float up and down the ice, uh, we'll score six goals because, come on now, look at the rod. There's not even a comparison here. Uh, and we'll just get out of there and it's going to be no problem. They're going to have a different thing coming to them. Ask Tampa Bay from last year. It'll be a test for Toronto. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking that myself. Like it was funny before the season started. People asked me, "Oh, who do you think? What do you think about Columbus?" And I said, "Well, you know what? Given what happened with the Islanders and their coach, I said you can't count out the Blue Jackets. I kind of had them contending, you know, for a wild card spot. I never thought it actually come true." Um, but how much pressure is on the Maple Leafs to get off to a hot start against Columbus? Well, a lot of pressure. I mean, I think it's the same pressure on any team in the play-in round, simply because, you know, um, this might agitate people who like to calculate games for a living, but um, the, series, <laughs> the series is short. Therefore, you don't have time for everything to come out in the wash, so to speak, for your big sample size to eventually regress to the mean and the numbers hold true. Guess what? In a short play-in series, anybody can get game one. And if, if you lose game one and you give up a couple of goals early in game two, then you're in big, big trouble. Um, especially a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who going into this, this play-in series have a lot of pressure on them for a number of reasons. One, they haven't won a playoff round in God knows how long. Um, well, in fact, I know. <laughs> I was at the game the last time that they won. That was in 2004 in, in Game 7 against the Ottawa Senators. It's been quite some time. Um, here's, the, here's the catch, though. The play-in round isn't even a playoff series. So you kind of got to get over one psychological hurdle just to get to a point to get over another psychological hurdle. Because if you don't win the play-in round, you'll technically have missed the playoffs in a year where coming into the season with Matthews and Nylander and Marner signed and Tavares on board and Riley and Anderson, and you bring in Tyson Berry and you think he... Making the playoffs was never even a conversation. So there's pressure on them to do that. And then the third thing is, as we just talked about, uh, you're playing a team that doesn't necessarily uh, match up very well against the style you like to play. It's a lot of pressure on this Maple Leafs team. I have uh, two uh, questions that would raise some points and eyebrows. Uh, the first one's going to be about uh, players like Tyson Berry. What impact does Tyson Berry and Jake Muzzin mean on – the defense playing for the Leafs going into this playing round before they even get to the playoffs? Uh, well, uh, Jake Muzzin, I think, has the opportunity to be a really valuable guy uh, because he plays playoff hockey. He's, he plays the type of style that Toronto, in my mind, there's varying, varying thoughts about you know what is winning hockey. And I know I disagree with some people on that, but in my mind, that they need to play more consistency to have success in the postseason. And for all intents and purposes, let's just call the play-in series the postseason. 
even though it's not. No, it's not. Arizona. Even though <laughs> Arizona, it's not. Um, but, so, Jake Muzzin, I think, has a, an opportunity to be a really valuable guy. I thought he was, he was outstanding last year in the first round against Boston. Um, Tyson Berry ha- also has a big opportunity, um, and, and I think he can play well. He, he had success last year with Colorado. He, he's a guy that, that can perform when the chips are down. He didn't play very well this year um, for a number of different reasons. Um, but, but here's the thing. He has an opportunity now to, to correct that and make the first 70 games of his tenure in Toronto go away with three to five real good games against Columbus. If he does that, then it, it, you know, it'll be amazing how the narrative will change on Tyson Berry. And, and, and for this guy, there's a lot on the line personally because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now, it's not a, not a great year to be a UFA, I don't think, this year, because who the hell knows what it's going to mean economically speaking whenever the fiscal year end comes to pass, where the cap's going to go, uh, how willing teams are going to be to, to, to hand out lucrative deals, uh, especially to a guy that you know his body of work this year wasn't all that good. But he has an opportunity, certainly, to put himself in, in, in the good graces of a lot of teams with with, uh, with, with some fine play, um, and the Leafs are going to need it because if, if he's going to be, um, you know, underwhelming and, and a turnover machine, um, that is not going to help the Leafs' cause. And you talked about Freddie Anderson uh, not long ago. Um, I want to talk about goaltending. We, as doubles fans, are used to really solid goaltending from Brodeur's days. Um, how can the Leafs weather off the Blue Jackets with – Elvis Merzlikens, the Latvian, and Jonas Korpisalo, the Finnish uh, netminder. And how will this affect uh, Frederick Anderson, the Dane, uh, as the netminder uh, going in for the Leafs? Well, um, here's the thing with Columbus, right? Were we surprised that Korpisalo and, and Elvis were as good as they were this year? Maybe. But... Columbus also plays a style where there is predictability in where shots are going to come from. And they don't need their net minders to stand on their heads, right? Because Columbus doesn't play um, uh, a jailbreak style in their own end. So typically speaking, their goalies just need to make the saves that they're supposed to make. And, and usually it doesn't get to a chaotic point where you need to go into scramble mode as a, as a goalie for Columbus. For the Maple Leafs, number of problems. Firstly, Freddie has not typically gotten off to really good starts in the regular season. The month of October has not been Freddie's friend. How is the month of October similar to what the end of July, August is going to be? Well, it's essentially going to be the start of a brand new season, given the fact that they have not played hockey for four to five months, similar to the, to the beginning of a brand new season. Freddie's gotten off to a slow start in October. If he gets off to a slow start this time around, as he's been prone to do, there's not going to be time for him to theoretically change the calendar to November, where over the last number of years, he's been really good for um, three or four or five months until sort of mid-March rolls around and the playoffs get here. And then, What's been the narrative? Well, he gets worn down because the Leafs haven't had uh, competent backup net mining, especially in the last couple of years. Um, so, so he gets worn down. He's played too much. Well, that shouldn't be an issue this year, everyone will say, because he'll be re- well-rested. But back to my first point, that he has a tougher time uh, getting off to good starts. Uh, why is that? Well, the Leafs don't necessarily play a lockdown type of style defensively. It's, it's difficult for goalies because they kind of get ha- hung out to dry a lot of times when it comes to, to how the Leafs play defense for any goalie. I don't care if you're Freddie Anderson, if you're, you know, uh, Connor Hellebuck, who, you know, quite frankly, uh, was, was outstanding for Winnipeg, even in times where they were not good defensively. I think he should win the Vezina. That's another conversation. Whether you're Marty Brodeur <laughs> of, of 2003, whoever you want to say, it's tough for goalies. So there's that. The last point about Anderson is um, he has a lot of pressure on him going into a playoffs. He hasn't been very good in the playoffs during his tenure in Toronto. So he, he has an opportunity 
to to change that narrative. But can he get off to a quick start? He hasn't shown that he can. It'll be interesting to see what kind of Freddie uh, shows up. But I think by and large, guys, um, it won't be so much dependent on Freddie as it will be what kind of team collectively shows up. If it's, as, as Mike Babcock used to put it, the fantasy tour in uh, the early going here in the play-in round, it's going to be tough for Freddie. But if they show up and they play strong defensively, he's going to have a lot better of an opportunity to, to have success. And then speaking of coaching, you know, this is Sheldon Keefe's first time, I guess, quote-unquote, trying to make the playoffs because we know it's not the playoffs. Uh, but he's going up against the season pro and, and John Tortorella. Uh, pressure's on him to to get this team in the playoffs, and he's going to have to outcoach one of the best it, we've seen it in our decade, in our time. Yeah, he, he, he does have a lot of pressure on him, and it's going to be interesting – to see how he acquits himself. Um, I thought he's done a fairly good job since he's taken over in that um, the, the style that, that Kyle Dubas wants the Leafs to play. Um, I think, I think Sheldon Keefe has done a, a fairly good job of implementing it and, 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 and putting it in place and, and seeing what happens. Now, I guess the way you have this discussion is, it's one thing to talk about implementing the style that, that, that Dubas wants the team to play, and then it's a separate conversation as to do you think that style can win in the playoffs. I am not yet convinced that it can, simply because I really haven't seen a team uh, who plays like Toronto wants to play have success and win a Stanley Cup. So, uh, we will see. Uh, I have no doubt that Sheldon will be able to, to get the, the, the style in place that the Leafs want to play. The question is, will it be able to win in the postseason? To me, um, not unless they, they also show a, a, a willingness to buy in defensively. I know the style they want to play is that they want to outpossess the other team. Nice and all, okay, but um, it's not soccer. You can't have the ball 95% of the time. Um, yeah, last year, there was a graphic where I believe the, the team that, that had the best possession numbers was, was in the high 50s. Okay, so that means about 40 to 43% of the time, which is damn close to half the game, you didn't have the puck. What are you doing when you don't have the puck? And it goes back to what we've talked about. If, if, if they don't show the same kind of willingness to dig down in their own end as they do in the offensive end when they have the puck, um, it's going to be tough for them, I think. And so um, you talked about how the, the state of the national international economy is looking. Um, I know this sounds a little like further down the road, Eric and William Nylander could be cap casualties if the cap slightly goes up or down, including escrow and everything else is factored in. Um, it's really hard to say at this point because, I mean, quite honestly, Nylander had a great year. Now, uh, there's still areas of his game that I'd like to see him improve. And then again, I mean, I feel like I'm a broken record here, but it goes back to the defensive side of the game. There's room for improvement there. Uh, but by and large, uh, the contract that he, he signed um, does not look like uh, near the albatross that, that we thought it, it might. He's played really, really well. Um, I don't know if this is the year that you want to sacrifice, William, because I think there's, there's a lot of value there. Um, and, and right now... Uh, they're not really looking at um, having to sign anybody um, who will command a significant ticket. Uh, Freddie Anderson will come up uh, a year from now. Zach Hyman will come up a year from now. They're going to be due, due raises. Morgan Riley the year after that. Um, they might have an opportunity this year to sort of stay the course with the group they've got, tinker around the edges, uh, fill in internally with some guys who 
uh, will be playing at a very palatable number, you know, a number that starts with, uh, with an eight or a nine and only has five numbers following it as opposed to six. <laughs> um, so so that will, that'll help. You know, guys like Nick Robertson should push for a job next year. Timothy Lilligren on the back end, um, you know, my goodness, he should be on the team next year. He better be on the team next year. Um, and, and by better, I'm not saying that the Leafs should just drop him onto the team, but that his game should be at a point. It's incumbent on him to be on the team next year uh, because they need him to be. And if he's not, um, that's going to be an indictment, I guess, on, on him as a draft pick. So I don't think they'll necessarily have to, to, to throw anybody of a big ticket um, over the boards uh, this coming season. I think Jason Spezza, if they want him back, I think there's a deal to be made there at, at a very similar number to, to what he played at this year. So I don't think Willie's going to be the, the guy that, that'll have to get, get thrown overboard this year. Uh, but you know, next year at this time, or whenever you know off season is next year, that might be a different conversation because some other guys with some big tickets who are pretty valuable to this team will will need to get signed. So you know we talked about Panarin before. You know we you know, with Columbus. Um, who do you have winning the Hart Trophy and Jack Adams awards this year? Um, once you know since the season's over and once we get the awards ceremony. Well, the, the Jack Adams to me is easy. That's John Tortorella, and I really don't even think I need to, to back that up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more – when it comes to the Jack Adams this year, I'm more of the mind that uh, I'm going to throw out my pick and you come at me with, with arguments as to why, they, why it shouldn't be, and, and I'll, I'll dispute them. But that's, that's how far and away I think Jack, uh, John Tortorella – uh, has has run away with with the Jack Adams award. Um, when it comes to and I mean honestly, if you if you disagree with me, boys, feel free. I, I have no uh, disagree. I have no disagreement <laughs> there. And the only I'm other guy would come to mind would be Paul Maurice for what he did in what he's doing in uh, Winnipeg uh, with that dismantled yeah. defense that they have with no Bufflin and just the makeshift in front of Connor, Connor Hellenbeck. But I no no Truba. No Truba. But other than that. I think those are the two top guys in my book. Yeah, I agree. I, I had Paul Maurice on a poll for the brunch a couple of weeks ago. We looked at this award. Uh, I think he's done a great job. Um, it, it really was uh, – there, there was a fire for him to put out basically since the middle of last offseason, uh, seemingly on a monthly basis, and he did a fantastic job. And I think Paul Maurice is a fantastic coach. Uh, I really enjoy speaking with him. Um, uh, I like him as a guy. Uh, there's a lot for me to like about Paul Maurice. Problem is, uh, he's also got uh, Blake Wheeler, and he's got Mark Shifley, and he's got Patrick Laine, and he's got Kyle Connor, and he's had Connor Hellebuck playing in a Vesna Trophy caliber. So, you know, um, do, do, you, do you hold that against a head coach? No, I don't necessarily. But when you look at the job that John Tortorella did, he hasn't had really anybody that has been up to that level uh, on his team, yet he still found a way to get a patchwork lineup into the, into the playoffs or into the, the, the conversation for the playoffs. So that's, uh, that's sort of where my, uh, my, my thought process ends with that. For the Hart Trophy, I, I think it's going to be a really open uh, uh, battle. You know, Leon Dreisaitl, I think, should be in there. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, I think, should be in there. I mean... You want to talk about teams that were banged up, boys. Colorado yeah. is really one of those teams. Uh, and we don't really necessarily pay as much attention to them as we did Columbus with the amount of injuries that they had to deal with. But, you know, Landis Cog... Especially Rantanen. Yeah, Rantanen missed a, a long period of time. Landis Cog, a long period of time. Uh, their net mining got banged up. Nazem Kadri missed a, a period of time. Kale McCarr missed a period of time. Uh, and Nathan McKinnon threw the team on his back. And, and carried them. I mean, the month of November, I forget the numbers at the top of, uh, off the top of my head, but if you want to go back and calculate them, um, I know whatever they were, they were, they were, they were eye-opening. So he, he deserves a lot of credit. Um, and I also think Panarin does. Generally, I'm not of the mind that if you, if you miss the playoffs, you should win the Hart Trophy. I mean, there's two schools of thought on that, but that's just how I feel 
uh, on it. So, you know, that, that's, that's how my thought process goes. But this year, I don't know if you can necessarily hold that uh, against guys as much because the voting's already been conducted. What if New York beats Carolina in their play-in round, which is entirely possible. They went 4-0 against them during the, the regular year. Well, then guess what? They're in the playoffs. So then you better have voted as if he made the playoffs or at least as if he had an opportunity to make the playoffs. So I think there might be an opportunity for a guy who was not in the playoffs when the pause occurred to win the, the Hart Trophy this year, more so than in other years, because it tends that people agree with me when it comes to that, that mindset. I think Panarin was that good. Without him, New York's, I don't think, really in the conversation. So to me, it would come down to, to McKinnon, Dreisaitl, uh, Panarin. I think Eichel had a fantastic year, but Buffalo, sorry, just not, not, not a good enough team. Where would they be without Eichel? Exactly where they, they were with him. That's not to that's not to. It's not, well, it's true. No, right? it's, it's true. It's down, true. Down it, it is true. It, it's a dumpster fire. It's not to downplay Jack at all. He was outstanding oh, in any other year. They, they would be right there. He would be right there. But I think it comes down to McKinnon, Panarin, and, and Dreisaitl. And if you had to pick, uh, I'd, probably, I'd probably go with, with Dreisaitl just because, um, you know, I don't think anybody had Edmonton as a playoff team coming in. Other than Dreisaitl and McKinnon, uh, their, their options were limited. A lot better than in years past, but limited. And when McDavid was out, uh, you know, Dreisaitl went, you know, video game numbers. So I think he, he really deserves a, a nod. I actually like to say it would be Dreisaitl for me. He's turned into a power forward winger center who could play a versatile role on a team like that. I saw him play against New Jersey and he looks pretty good. And that physical build, you know, kind of reminds me of Quentin Byfield in a way right now in this draft. Um, give young players. Um, what do you think about the Calder run right here with Jack Hughes' brother Quinn from Vancouver and uh, UMass Amherst uh, alum uh, Kale McCarr uh, going for it? Uh, it's probably one of the tightest Calder races that I can remember in quite some time. Um, it, it's, it's between those two, and honestly, I don't know how you pick. Uh, I don't think either one of them is is the wrong choice so i i ultimately think it's going to come down to to who likes mccarr's game better and who likes quinn hughes game better um and, and if i had to pick i'd probably go with mccarr uh just because the i mean i watched him play he was dynamic uh to watch him move laterally to me was was incredible i really haven't seen many guys play the position like him um, in, in talking to, to a lot of guys and asking them this question now, albeit it was much earlier in the season around Christmas time. Uh, but, but it seemed like McCarr had, had the vote of the players, uh, in, in late January, when I talked to a number of prospects who, uh, are, are eligible for the draft this year, Jamie Drysdale among them, a, a similar type of player in that he's a defenseman who, it was really thought that he is going to be someone who can, can drive the play, similar to Hughes and McCarr. Uh, he, he brought up McCarr as a guy that, that stands out to him. He said, you know, watching him play, he said, my goodness, this guy's getting breakaways in the NHL as a defenseman. Like, he said, I, I don't think I've had a breakaway since minor hockey, and he's getting them in the, in the NHL. So, I mean, that, that, he said, to him was staggering. Um, and, you know, he, his numbers were right there. And he missed uh, five or six games. And, and then when he came back, he picked up right where he left off. So, um, to me, I'd have to go with McCarr. But if you want to pick Quinn Hughes, sure. You know, I'll agree with you on that, too, because he's just that good. Yeah, both players have been excellent this year. I, it's so hard to pick a guy like that. I mean, even Adam Fox can make a case, I guess, for what he's been doing. Not this year he can't. No, but not this no. year. But he's, he's played well. But it's McCarr and Hughes. Very good player, yeah. Um, but, you know, big announcement coming Wednesday, Hockey Hall of Fame. I saw the, the, um, the poll yesterday uh, on the brunch about, um, you know, which guy, which fourth-year guy, you know, had the eligibility who we'd like to see get in. Who do you think makes the class? 
um, this year? And do you see uh, former New Jersey Devil Patrick Eliash getting in uh, down the road? Okay, let's just for the purposes of my Twitter feed uh, throw a proviso <laughs> out, th- out there, okay? For, for this conversation, we're only talking about NHL players that we think are going to get in. That's correct, okay? yeah. Uh, just let's make that clear because uh, I got a lot of folks yesterday who were, uh, you know, telling me that there's other people that are eligible to make the, I know I'm aware. And uh, some females will certainly get in. Um, Some builders will certainly get in. Some international players are are likely to get in, but we're just talking about the NHL here. Okay. So we've thrown that out Mm -hmm. now. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking about the yeah, yeah. because people get at, people get <laughs> yeah. agitated about this. Um, who who do who do I think will get in? I think Jerome McGinley, um, he will get in. Uh, you know, other than winning a Stanley Cup, and you could argue he probably should have. Uh, there's a uh, a still frame with a puck that seems to be on the uh, the uh, the front side of a pad, but on the back side of a goal line um, in 2004. <sighs> That might, might have meant the, the result of that cup should have gone in a different fashion. But we'll leave that alone. Yep. Um, <laughs> anyway, my point is, other than, than that official cup on his mantle, Jerome did just about everything else in the game. Um, he had success at the international level. Um, you know, he set up the, the golden goal in 2010. I think we can all hear Iggy in our mind, right? We all know that. Yep. Um, yeah, back in 2010 yeah, with do. Scotty Niedermeyer. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I know. Sorry, yeah, boys. It's sorry, okay. Boys. No, it was a fun game. It was yeah. a fun game. It was a fun game to watch. It was even more fun. Parisi scored did that one, too, to tie it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was even more fun north of the ball. Yeah, I'll tell it was. Um, <laughs> but, I knew uh, you know, he was, yeah, he was one of the most dominant players for a long, long time. He led Calgary for a long, long time. Um, he, he could do it all. He could do other things than just score. Um, he could grind you down. He played in an era where it wasn't easy to score goals. Um, he, if you wanted to fight, he could fight. I know there's a lot of folks that don't like fighting, but it was a part of the game back then. Still is, I hate to tell you. Um, and uh, and, and he, was, he, he could mix it up that way. Um, off the ice, um, I don't know if you can find a better guy, uh, really. I mean, I don't know if that necessarily should play into the, the Hall of Fame, but, but I think quite honestly... Uh, personal viewpoints on guys tends to influence the minds of the voters. Um, and as that goes, I don't know if you can find a better guy than Jerome. So I think he gets in. Uh, I think Patrick uh, Ilyash, uh, I believe he's in his second yeah. year, if not third. Second, second year, year, second year. Yep. Yeah, I, I, think he, I think he should get in as well. Um, you know, he won Stanley Cups. He was the, 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 probably the best player if you want to throw Marty Brodeur out of the equation on a team that won a lot of Stanley Cups. You know, I know they played a different style that a lot of people found boring, but they, they won Stanley Cups with it, so that's cool. And, uh, and, and when they were doing so, it was usually Patrick leading the way offensively um, on, on championship teams. Um, you know, and, and even without the championships, his numbers are right there on par with, with other Hall of Famers. Um, as for I, guys that – go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say with him as, a, as one of the top checks to probably ever live, he's yeah. got to be up there, especially of Yager. I mean, Yager spent more time in the, the KHL's uh, Czech League. You know, he could have at least surpassed Eliash a lot longer, but uh, – it seems that Patrick Eliash followed the art of war um, playing on those doubles teams in uh, 2000, 2003 cup runs. So that so-called boring is actually well thought out play. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's structured play, right? It wins. So that's why, <laughs> you know, a lot of coaches, uh, you know, want teams to, to play like that because coaches get paid with, with W's and L's, not with G's and A's. Right. So, um, you know, but I, I, I think Patrick should get in, you know, other than Yarmir Yager, I think he's the best Czech player who, who's ever lived. Um, can't touch Yager, man's 48 years old. He put up 30 points or whatever in the Czech league this year. <laughs> uh, but, so, so he's still got a while to wait to get in cause he's still playing. Uh, but anyway, I think Patrick should get in. But then after that, I think there's going to be an opportunity for somebody who's been on the ballot for a long, long time to get in. 
Um, and I think you can make a compelling case for uh, a lot of guys. Um, you know, Pierre Turgeon is a guy that, that seems to have a lot of support. Um, his numbers are outstanding. I think he's got the, uh, the best numbers of, of, of anybody uh, not in the Hall of Fame right now. So he, he should probably get in. Thing is, he didn't win a cup. Uh, Cujo uh, Curtis Joseph, he's got the seventh most wins of all time, fifth most before Lundqvist and Fleury passed him this year. Didn't win a cup, didn't win a Vesna, but man, guy won a lot of games. Um, it's hard to, hard to hold that against him. He's got more wins than a number of Hall of Fame goalies. Um, Alex McGilney was, was a dynamic player, but maybe the consistency isn't, isn't there enough. Um, Rod Brindamore, if Guy Carbon was in the Hall of Fame, Rod Brindamore should be in the Hall of Fame, I think. He, he's won Stanley Cups. He won the Selkie Trophy two consecutive years. His, his offensive numbers are better than Guy. So there's an argument to be made there. It's really hard to tell, but I think one of those guys that we just mentioned um, will get in this year just because, you know, after, after Jerome, um, maybe Marion Hosa gets in as well. I don't know if he's a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer, though. Um, and and that's, that's the thing. Like, I know it's been kind of easy to get into the Hall of Fame. Not, not easy, but compared to other Hall of Fames, certainly baseballs, it's, it's easier. If there's one area where I want the bar to be kept high, it's, it's first-year eligible players. And I, I want to make sure that um, the guy who is the best of the first-year eligible players doesn't just automatically get in because he's the best um, of that crop. You should have to meet a certain standard. I think Jerome meets it. Don't know if Marion does. He's right there, but I think he might have to wait a year. In, in my mind, if I was voting, which I'm not, obviously, but that's why I think that it opens up an opportunity for, uh, for someone who's been on the ballot for a number of years to get in this year. But what about a guy like Daniel Afferson? Isn't but do you think up? the Blackhawks year help Hosa's chances going in, not just first or second time around? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, he, he's won – how many cups has he won? Three? Two, three, yeah. I mean, and he was a big part of those teams for sure. Uh, it'll absolutely help. He'll get in, um, but I'd put him in next year. To me, I mean, to me, I'd, I'd put him in like I, I'd put in Patrick Elias this year in his second year of eligibility. Uh, Daniel Alfredson, um, I, I wouldn't put him in before any of the guys that we, we talked about a moment ago. Um, he might get in down the road, but uh, I, I would put in Turgeon. I would put in Brindamore. I would put in Curtis Joseph. Um, I would probably put in McGilney uh, ahead, of, ahead of Daniel Alfredson right now. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, the Hall of Fame, it's always a fun uh, fun little debate on uh, who gets in, who doesn't get in. Um, before we, we before we get you out of here, I just wanted to just go around the, the rest of the league real quick just to see, you know, what other teams you think can pull some upsets in this playing round? Uh, well, um, I mean, what series stand out to, to you guys? Because I've certainly got – uh, one in mind. I got Pittsburgh, Montreal. I mean, everybody seems that everybody seems to think that um, you know uh, Montreal could pull an upset with Carey Price there. I like Winnipeg, um, Calgary. That stands out to me, and then maybe Chicago, Edmonton, because just the way because Chicago has that mindset that they can you know in a short series they have that talent there that that can make it hard for the Oilers. Yeah, um, interesting. The series I had in mind, you didn't you didn't bring up, but I'll touch on those ones firstly. Uh, Chicago, I agree with, I could see them beating, um, Edmonton, you know, Jonathan Taves and Patty Kane, Duncan Key, still a great player. Uh, if Corey Crawford can get hot, they've got some depth in their lineup now with guys like Debrinket. Strom was, was pretty good. You know, this year, Kubalik had a, had a really nice year for, for Chicago as a rookie. Um, I, I think they could certainly challenge and remember it's a short series, so, doesn't take that much. Just takes getting hot for three to five games, you know, like a week really during the regular season, right? Um, the 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 Flames Jet series is is the most intriguing series to me because I think it will be the the most competitive, the tightest, the hardest to call. I don't think you can really put an upset moniker on that, so to speak, because I think the teams are are both so evenly matched. 
Um, you know, if Chicago was to beat Edmonton, I would call it an upset just because of this, the disparity in the standings. Uh, but I wouldn't call that a, 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 the case with, with Calgary and with, um, with Winnipeg. Uh, Montreal, I don't see beating Pittsburgh at all. Carey Price certainly can get hot, but um, can he put up three consecutive shutouts? Uh, I don't know about that. I just don't see enough offensively uh, up front to, to carry Montreal through at this point. I think Pittsburgh is, is, is the team to beat in that regard. This, the series that stands out to me that could be a real upset is, is Rangers-Carolina. You know, um, Carolina was, was a bit better than New York in the standings this year, but not against them head-to-head, 4-0. and uh, the Rangers went during uh, the regular year against Carolina. Um, and, and I think they've got a really nice team. I love the way they were trending. You know, we talked about Art Panarin. Uh, Mika Zibanejad was, was going gangbusters. Um, you know, really, whoever they put in net, whether it's Shosturkin or Georgiev uh, or even Lundqvist, who was 3-0 and against Carolina this year, they've got good options in net. Uh, their D was, was trending in the right direction. I think Truba... He's a really good player. You guys mentioned Fox. Um, I know he agitates some people these days, but if you want to just talk about what he's doing on the ice, Tony D'Angelo has had a really nice year. Um, I, there's a lot to like about this Rangers team. I could absolutely see them, um, quote-unquote, upsetting Carolina. What about Arizona and Vancouver with the play-in rounds? Uh, okay, so who is Arizona playing? Don't they, don't I, they have I, Nashville? I think they have Nashville, right? I think. I'm pretty sure. John Hines' team. Yeah, Nashville. So, um, no, I I don't see Arizona winning. Uh, I I think Nashville's going to beat them. I think, you know, Nashville's a team that's underperformed for most of this year, and they've got some pressure on them to make it right. Uh, but I think just by and large, their lineup is is better than Arizona's. I think I think Nashville win. Uh, Vancouver, I think they have Minnesota. Yeah, if, that's if correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Um, that's going to be tough because Minnesota was another one of these teams that surprised certainly me this year. I mean, when they rolled through town late in October uh, and played the Maple Leafs, you know, everybody was looking at Minnesota as just like a, a brutal team. And they got licked that night by the Leafs. And, you know, but they, they really ended up turning it around and, I think Brucey Boudreau got, got fired just because they were intent on making a, a change at head coach. But, man, how do you fire the head coach if you make the playoffs? And I think that's what they were heading toward doing. So I, th- I feel like they made the change just because, well, we got to fire him now because if they make the playoffs, we can't fire him then and we want to make a change, you know, which is Billy Guerin's prerogative because he wants to get his own people in there. <laughs> Uh, but that's how good Minnesota was. Um, Vancouver, though, you know, Jacob Markstrom, a lot, lot on the line. Uh, he's a UFA. He'd like to put in a good showing. I think Pedersen is dynamic. I, I'd have that guy on my team any day of the week. 100%. Um, you know, uh, you got like talked him. about him. Uh, who's the guy they picked up from L.A.? Uh, uh, Toffoli. At, at the deadline. Toffoli. Tyler really Toffoli. Nice. Really nice Mr. Playoffs. Fit. You know, also a UFA reason for him to have uh, a good year, a uh, good playoffs. Um, Brock Besser didn't have the best year. Opportunity for him. I like Vancouver a lot. I like Travis Green as their coach. I want to be tight, uh, but if I think I if I had to pick, I think I'd go with Vancouver. But I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a long series, a five gamer. So that leaves. Islanders in Florida is the last series. Might as well just touch on that. I mean, two teams pretty similar. Um, but the real question for Florida, I guess, in my book is, what about Bob? Can he find the magic? Yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd push back on, on you saying the two teams are similar. To me, I don't think they could get any more opposite. Um, and I think it's a, 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 a series very similar to how uh, Toronto and Columbus will play out. Florida likes to score six goals a game, um, but, you know, defense optional. <laughs> uh, the Islanders, the Islanders, the only way they seem to win is when they suffocate you into the ground. Uh, so, you know, which style will win out? 
Will Will New York be able to score enough? Will they be able to grind Florida down um, in a short series? That to me will be uh, the 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 test in in that series and determine uh, whoever wins. Like Florida's roster is better, but they've underperformed this year. You know, yet again, it seems that every year we go into the the season, they oh well, this year Florida's going to put it together. This is the year. This is the year. Oh look, they went <laughs> out and they got Bob. This is the year, and then he doesn't play well, and then they're right back where they started. You know, if this season had, a, had not a pause, they probably were not going to make the playoffs. Um, so, and you could argue the Islanders would not have made the playoffs either. So there was, this is really interesting test between a couple of teams that might not have made it. Florida should win it, but I'm not convinced, you know, that they, that they will put it together in time. So this, this one is a, a tough call in my books. Toss up. <laughs> I would have to say Andy Green's blocking shots would be a little bit more important for the Islanders, especially taking some shots from Trocheck and a few others and, and, uh, and Uberdo. Jean-Étienne Uberdo? Oh, Uberdo. Yeah, not bad. Mais oui, beaucoup. Très bien. Merci beaucoup. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yes. This was, a, this was a great discussion today, uh, just hitting around the league. Dave, I want to thank you for coming on uh, Heads Up Hockey today and uh, discussing uh, the Maple Leafs and uh, everything else in regards to the NHL. You're welcome, boys. Uh, it was fun uh, being on with you, and uh, certainly appreciate you listening to my show on a weekly basis. Uh, and uh, tr- Trust me, it does not go unnoticed. Uh, and happy Canada Day ahead. Yeah, happy Canada Day ahead for you guys. And Independence Day to you, just around the corner. Yeah. Man, summer's getting away from I know, us. right? Hopefully down. we have some hockey to talk about. But, yes, I always love listening to the show on Sundays. Like, when I'm on my drive back from Reffin, well, the season's over. But 11-1, boom, it's on. Now I'm listening to it in the house, cleaning. It's perfect. Just great hockey talk on the weekend. All the shows are good on SiriusXM, but I always say the weekend's the best. Oh, baby. Love it. Love it. All right. All right. Take it easy. Thanks, boys. Thanks. Welcome. Take it easy. Bye.